This morning, we want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to continue working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about God's call for people in leadership. There's always a need. I don't, I've never been a part of a church. I'm sure most of you have never been a part of a church where they didn't need leadership, help. See, when we speak in the biblical terms of leadership, the word most often used associated with it is the word diakonia. It's the same word if used as a noun, we get the concept of deacon. The word very simply means to serve. And God calls those who would be a part of serving his body to be called to a, a higher responsibility. Uh, not more important, just more accountable. Because when we're in positions of leadership, people watch. I mean, for example, a lot of people may not consider worship being a position of leadership. But playing a piano on a worship team is a position of leadership. People are watching, teaching a Sunday school class, uh, working in the nursery. All of these are areas of leadership, places where God calls people to serve. And there's always that need. And as I was kind of looking at this and I was, and I was uh, uh, chewing on the concept, uh, Lexi, you looking for Brian? He's right up here. You bet. <laughs> He's always moving. I know it's hard for you to find him. When I was thinking about this, when I was thinking about the concept, I hope I didn't embarrass you. It just looked like you were lost for a while. So It would have been more embarrassing if you were looking for somebody else. So. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the concept of, of servant leadership that the Bible lays out for us. It reminded me of something I, I went through not so long ago. And I, I think I'm going to have to protect the names of the not-so-innocent just so they don't get in trouble. But there were, let's just call it a story. There's a story of three guys who went fishing. So many stories begin that way around here. And they went fishing, and it was just another day, normal day of fishing. And as they were bringing the boat down to the dock to launch the boat, the guy who was driving decided to, to go around this truck that was kind of parked by there. And, and going around that truck, he's really close to the lake. And uh, it was the lake was really low, water had been receding. And next thing these three guys know is it, the truck is sinking. Now, when the truck's sinking, you have a moment to make a decision, right? Commit. Punch it and go for it. Or... Stop. To be honest, both of them work out the same way. So they, these guys, they kind of went for it. And all winning for it meant was sinking to the axle. Now have you ever had a day where a bad situation got worse? I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. But here these guys are stuck. Now the good news is, all the revving of the motor and the spitting of the mud woke up the guy who was sleeping in the camper whose truck, they, these three guys, were going around. So he comes out with his cup of coffee. You guys are stuck. <laughs> Truly, yeah, we are. And we're not even in a place where we can really get the, the boat into water. But then one of the guys, a servant leader, he said, no, we can get the boat in. If we get the boat off the trailer, it'll be a little lighter. We can pull it out. So, the three fellers, they, they decided to put the boat in the water. Now, it's beside. It's not in the water. It's beside it. So, you pick up the boat and put it in the water. And that all worked great. There's the boat. And as they set the boat in the water, one of the guys remembered that the plug's not in the boat. <laughs> so, he said, the plug's not in the boat. But don't be afraid. Well, we'll put the plug in the boat. So that one fellow is holding on to the rope. And the boat, as the boat's floating away from the, from the trailer. And he's pulling on that rope to pull the, the boat over by the dock. Or we could do some other things with it. Or they could. Not us. <laughs> and so as they, as they pull the boat over, the funniest thing one of these three guys ever saw happens. 
the rope comes off the boat. <laughs> now the boat is floating away and sinking all at the same time. And so the three guys, they all look at each other because it's important in servant leadership to have many heads. So one of them, a true servant leader, finally decides there's nothing left to it but to go swim after the boat. And in a moment of despair, he starts ripping his clothes off. Fortunately, there was still that one guy drinking his cup of coffee. And he said, as, as I, I love Idahoans who do this. These guys were all Idahoans, by the way. This guy says, I think it's just going to blow to the other side. And we were on a narrow channel, or they were, on a narrow channel. And sure enough, the sinking boat drifted to the other side. And one of those guys took upon themselves to walk around the channel and get the boat and tie the rope to it so it wouldn't come off this time. Jump into the boat and drive the sinking boat. Now, it takes a special guy to get into a sinking boat and drive it to the dock. Because it's sinking. It's filling up with water. You can't get the boat to plane. It's just like pulling a tank through the water right now. But you're just hoping it's going to make it all the way to the dock. And it did. And the guy with the co- cup of coffee, he got in his truck and he, he pulled the truck up out of the mud. And then one of the other fellows got in the truck and backed it down. And we, well, they got the boat on the trailer and pulled it out and stood there for the next 30 minutes while like 400 gallons of water came out of the plug. And then eventually got the plug in it and still were able to go fishing that day and, and lose to the one who caught the biggest fish. I think it was still me. If I had been in the story, <clears throat> it would have been me catching the big fish. That was kind of fun. Funny when a guy who don't know what he's doing catches the biggest fish, you know what I mean? But as I think about God's concept of servant leadership, It's very similar. There's a crisis that takes place. And there's a group of people who do what they got to do. Everybody does their part. And accomplishes whatever the problem is. They overcome. It's always that way. If you're looking for a church that's not going to have problems, you're also looking for a church who's never going to raise up leadership. Because leadership or servant leaders come within a body that's stressing and straining it's it's growing it's got growing pains it's got issues it's got problems and in those problems servant leaders come up and people do their part and they overcome and that's what it's all about that's what following the lord in this amazing journey called the christian walk is all about So if you got Acts chapter 6 open up, let's take a look together at Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read the first seven verses. It says, Now, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we consider your word this morning, Father, we just pray, God, that Lord, you would lead us and speak to us, Father, through your word, that our eyes would be open, that, that our, our spirits would be willing to receive the truth, what your word tells us. 
And Lord, that we would truly have the hearts of Bereans who say, that all sounds good, and then they go and make sure it's so. Lord, I pray we would be hearers uh, of your word, but also doers, those who desire to see these things accomplished in our midst. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we take a look in Acts chapter 6, we, we see a great contrast begin. In the first few words there, there's several words in English. In the Greek, there's just one word. It probably would be better translated, but. We've got we to gotta back up one verse and see what was going on to, to understand the contrast. So if we just back up to verse uh, 42... It says, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So things are happening. And daily they're, they're preaching and teaching. But another issue came up. Now, a few weeks ago we talked about one of the issues. One of the issues that arose was, was Ananias and Sapphira. Which is a call to all believers to recognize that we still have a need of repentance in our life. We don't reach a point where, where the, the person who needs repentance is someone else. It's us. And, and those things we think are little things, God doesn't necessarily share our view of how little they are. They're big to Him. And having a, a heart that says, Lord, I want to live a life in repentance. That, that I'm quick to hear what God has to say to me and quick to react to what God's calling me to do. Because the time is short. And we're called to redeem the time. So we want to we have that. But then it's, the scripture tells us that they continued preaching. They were gathering corporately. Now listen, I know it doesn't seem like it, but about five years have passed. Did you notice? In what we're reading in scripture, about five years has passed from the day of Pentecost. This is not just the, the next day and the next day and the next day. They continued teaching and preaching and doing all those things. But, but most, not all, but most uh, commentators agree, hey, here's what's going on. About five years has passed. The church has grown. This is a big church. The church in Jerusalem. It's not called the churches in Jerusalem. It's just called the church. The church met corporately together, just like us, in one place there on the temple grounds. They would gather corporately together because the temple grounds were big enough for everybody to come. Some estimates put the number at somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 people. That is a big, at least as far as I'm concerned, that's a big church. But the Bible says not only did they continue in the temple gathering corporately, but house to house. They had small group fellowships. They were gathering together. And probably very similar to how we do it today, where we gather for men's fellowships, discipleship. We gather for ladies' fellowships. There's opportunity all week long to get into smaller groups, to get to know some people, study the Word. And what was accomplished in that was there was a continual growth going on within the body of Christ there at Jerusalem. And still at this point, we're talking about primarily a Jewish group. With the, with the exception of one guy that we know of, Nicholas, who was a proselyte, who was probably a Gentile who had converted to, to Judaism falling just short of circumcision... They called him a proselyte, and he was a part of the church. And we're going to see Gentiles come in a, in a few chapters as the Lord sends his church out. But here we are in this, in this local area. The church is still local. It's still in Jerusalem. It's big. And with that, with that size, with the people that are coming, there's constantly a certain issue that takes place. For example, there's those guys who were there at the beginning. You know, who were there from the beginning, very beginning. If, if we were in California or Costa Mesa, it'd be guys who were in Calvary Chapel in the days of the tent. And then there's guys who are now a part of Calvary Chapel who, who came after the building was built. And then there's guys who weren't even anywhere near them at that time, and they've just come recently. And within the body of Christ, in that single body, you can begin to have splinters. Splinters of the old timers versus the newcomers. You ever seen that happen before in a church? It would never happen in a place like our church. Somebody else's. Not here. We would never do that. But in other places, in other places, there's that struggle about the people who have always been there, the people who are just coming, and, and, and the weird concepts that come together. 
as a result. And that's really exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, you've got a body who's grown, and there's needs, there's problems, there's issues that come up. In fact, the scripture tells us, now in those days, or but, in contrast to what we talked about in chapter 5, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, as the church was growing, there arose a complaint. Now that word for complaint is really the word murmur, which is still a complaint, but it's not one that's vocalized. It just means the people start murmuring, murmur, murmur, murmur. The people started murmuring, there's a problem. And that murmur reached the ears of the apostles, or those who were in leadership in that place at that time. They heard about it. Not because someone came and told them, hey, guess what's going on? But they heard the gossip that was going through the church. They heard about the issues that were happening. And, and so, as a result, it comes to their attention that there's a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now the Hebrews are the locals. And the Hellenists are the newcomers. Well, the, the Hebrews are those who grew up there in Jerusalem. And the Hellenists were those who came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And when they did, they were introduced to Jesus Christ. And they got saved and they stayed. But they were primarily Greek speaking. And, and they came from a Greek culture so they were they didn't really hang out with the 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 hebrew speaking uh believers because they didn't share the same things that's not bad they're just different but they allowed that difference to become a a, a point of division between them and so a complaint arises that the hellenists the widows of the hellenists are being uh, are, are not getting their, their due care. The scripture says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, as we take a look at this, there's a, a couple of things I want to just draw your attention to and hopefully maybe, maybe provoke you to deeper study on the issue. A lot of people, when they come to Acts chapter 6, they see the beginning of the, the deacons within the church. And, and I certainly understand how that case can be made. But I want you to know that the name or office of deacon is not mentioned anywhere in Acts chapter 6. It's not going to be mentioned as an office until Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. That's when we're going to see the office of deacon spoken of. Now, the word diakonos or diakonia for the act of serving is everywhere in this chapter. But it's not just in this chapter referring to people who serve food. Because when the apostles say that we ought to be busy ministering the word of God, it's the word diaconia. It's the same word. So the apostles are serving. But they're serving the word. And they needed others, leadership, to come alongside. Servant leaders that, that could be a part of meeting a need, a shortfall within the body. It was necessary. So when, we, when I look at Acts chapter 6, that's what I see God raising up servant leaders. But I'm not a big guy about titles. i got to tell you. I really don't. If you say, what should we call you? You're not ever going to hear me say, call me Pastor Jackie. I'm not going to say it. Either I qualify as a shepherd for you or I don't. But that will be based on the things I do, not on me demanding a title. You ask me what to call you, I'm going to say, call me Jackie. It's what everybody else calls me. Unless you're bugging me. And I might say, then call me Most Holy Right Reverend. <laughs> I have that plaque in my office. Don't check the spelling on the plaque. Just know that's what it's supposed to say. But the, the idea is being, I'm not, I'm not hung up on a title. I will not get, but there's one title I'm worried about, and that's the title of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. The Mashiach, the Messiah. The Lord, the one who, who deserves all our allegiance. But I am very interested in servant leadership. People who can come alongside and say, you know what, I don't care if I get a, a placard on my door, or if I get a title, or if my name goes in the bulletin, or what happens. I just know I want to be part of the team serving Jesus Christ at Calvary Chapel Buell. Because that's what they were about here in Acts chapter 6. 
being a part of the team. So the word here used for the daily distribution, that word distribution, diaconia, same word from where we get the root for deacon. Later on when he's going to talk about the, the idea, we, we don't want to serve tables. That word serve tables, diaconia, same word. Same word used toward the apostles, same word used toward the problem, same word used to those who rise up in leadership to serve. It simply means to serve. That's what it is. It's not about titles, not about positions, it's not about all that authority. It is about being willing to say, here's a need, and I want to be a part of filling up. Let me tell you some of the challenges that we face here that I've seen kind of coming from a bigger Calvary back a long time ago. When I was back in, in California, when I first started going to Joshua Springs, we were this size. We are Calvary Chapel Buell right now. And the Lord started moving and doing great things, just like he's doing right here in our midst right now. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. Miracles are happening. God's doing great things. We're excited about seeing what all God's going to do. And so the, the body begins to grow. And as the body begins to grow, then the opportunity comes for people to be a part of uh, what we look at as paid staff. And the more people will become part of paid staff, the less other people want to serve. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. If, if God calls for someone to to enter into ministry and to be trained up and to have those opportunities where they kind of let go of the whole world. Because honest, if you want to move forward in ministry, it will require you to let go of the world. All of it. All of them aspirations and stuff. You let all that go and you grab a hold of Jesus with both hands and there's things He's going to call you to that you're not going to want to do. And and so that that is something that, that God's going to call folks too and I hope over and over and over and over again here at Calvary Chapel Buell we're going to see happen but the danger as that happens and as the Lord grows the body and as the the leadership grows within that body is that the the people's lack of desire to serve it still has nothing changed you know when we look here that they're they're about to bring seven guys seven people up in servant leadership you have 11 disciples and one that was chosen prior to all this. So 12 guys also there in leadership. 19 guys. A big body, granted. A lot of people, a lot of opportunity, a lot of things going on. But it doesn't change the need for servant leaders who are willing to pick up a slack. And so the, the call in Acts chapter 6, that's the, that's the call that the, that the Lord is laying out. What was going on? Their numbers were increasing. What, was, what else was happening? There was problems. Hey, folks, if we're honest with ourselves, the numbers Calvary Chapel Buell are increasing. And we are not free of problems. If we took the time to go one by one through all the folks here at church today and ask them, what are some of the problems you see around Calvary Chapel Buell? Most people would have something to say. Agreed? So when we see those problems and we recognize that there are issues, I guess what I see the Lord calling us to and what I feel in my heart then is to see men and women who are here who will rise up and say, I can, I can help meet that need I can help stand in the gap for that issue I've shared with you before one of the saddest scriptures I read in the book of Ezekiel is when the Lord looked to and fro among his people for someone who would stand in the gap and there was none but God's calling us he's calling us even as he called them there was a problem The widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we would leave the word of God and serve tables. So, listen to what they're talking about. They're not saying that we we shouldn't do any administrative duties or the, the preacher shouldn't change the light bulb or mow the lawn. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying our gifting... The apostles' giftings was in the sharing of the Word of God. We just read how when they would walk by sick people, they would, they would line up to, to see them. The opportunities to bear witness to Jesus Christ were happening day in and day out. And that's where their focus is at. That's all they're saying. They're not saying, we, we can't stoop to that level. It's not what it's about at all. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's about giftings. You know, the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians that the body of Christ is just like our body, right? We're not all one part. If we were all a mouth, then where would the body be? You couldn't get up and move. You wouldn't even be able to feed yourself. You just roll around on the ground hoping something falls in that you could eat. Wouldn't, it wouldn't work out. So the body requires not just a mouth, but arms, eyes, nose, legs, the internal organs, everything. If you think about how many parts are within your body, the scripture tells us, according to the Apostle Paul, that the body of Christ is the same way. And that it requires all those parts to do their part. If all those parts aren't doing their part, then we, then we fall short. We're, we're, our bodies are sick. They're not functioning right. Something's wrong. And so, so it is in the body of Christ. When we see those things, when we see those issues, we want to be able to be a part. To recognize that we each have giftings. In verse 3 it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. Now, I believe that as he's calling these guys to seek out from among them, he's called the whole congregation together. And he says, we have an issue, we got a problem with the Greek speaking. There's, a, there's a definitely an issue of language going on. We got a problem with the Greek speaking folks. And so as a result, he says, you gather, you look around and find men. Find men within the body who can help solve this problem. Find men among the body who can help solve a problem. That's what he's calling them to, guys. He says, seven men, and then he gives the, the example. Seek out from among you seven men. Why seven? You know, if you, if you go into to, to deeper study on it, there's about a hundred reasons why there's seven men. I think so often we as human beings miss the obvious. He's looking for seven men to be a part of the daily distribution of food to the widows, right? So if we were having men in charge of the daily distribution of food, how many days are there in a week? Huh. So if you have a guy do a day each, you need how many guys? Seven. It doesn't have to be all crazy. Although sometimes we like to go there. There's daily distribution. They need seven guys or seven days in a week. They want to make sure that the widows have their food. Now, what would happen? A widow in those days, guys, they, the only way that they could receive anything was through the, the church or by alms. If they had no family, there was no inheritance, there was no money, there was no job. They couldn't just go out and work in those days. They were destitute. So they would come to the church. And the church fed them every day. How many times should we help the hungry? Well, how about every day? Every time they're hungry. If somebody comes to the church and needs food, I have never let them leave without a box full of food. God provides. We make sure they have food. You go through the scripture, pure and undefiled religion is this, what? That they visit widows and orphans in their time of need. That they care for the poor. What was the judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah? That they had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care for the poor. They just pass them by. So there's certainly that thing within the church that, that we should be about doing that. That we should be about helping, being that helping hand. I'm thankful. We got a phone call, I think a couple weeks ago now, from, uh, from a, a woman who's not a believer, who knew about another woman who was a former Mormon, who was really struggling and didn't have any food. And this first woman, who wasn't a believer and didn't go to church anywhere, had heard in the community that we help people. And so she called, and we got connected, and we were able to, to, to help. Now, where is that story going to end? I don't know. But I'm thankful for the reputation in a community that says they'll help They'll be a part. And it was the same way in the church here. They're helping the widows. When the widows came, they're making sure they got food. But the disciples are saying, man, the Lord's moving and doing great things. And we've got to stay focused in the calling that God has us in. So we need people, servant leaders, people who will stand up. So he says to the congregation, pick men. And then they have requirements of who to pick. The first thing I don't want you to miss are the guys that they're supposed to pick. He says, pick from among you. What's that mean? Well, the first thing is they're a believer. 
They're part of the church. They're part of the congregation. They're here. He doesn't say go hire somebody. I know a lot of churches that big fellowships that got really gifted worship teams that are hired from out in the world to come play worship. Does that seem weird to anybody else? Seems weird to me. There's no reason why it can't be raised up from within. So it's not as good. Who cares? What is worship anyway? Is worship my entertainment or my opportunity to praise God? It's for Him, right? It's an offering we give to Him. That's what worship is. It's not just to sing songs. It's so that we can set aside time to just tell the Lord how much we love Him. We do that through a joyful noise made unto the Lord, right? An attitude of worship that God's calling us to. So that's what we want to have. That's what we want to experience. And we want to have people from within the body that are a part of it. He says, choose from among you, believers. The second thing he says, look there in the verse. The second thing he says, and men of good reputation. And that word, remember I told you reputation is not character. What's reputation? Reputation is what other people say about you. When he says to choose men, servant leaders from among them, he says, you choose men who have a good reputation. That means other people see that they are pretty solid guys, giving, loving, leading, walking with the Lord, that they see that, that that's their reputation. Their reputation isn't a reputation of some other thing. It's a good, solid reputation. The word has the idea of watching, looking at somebody's life and seeing the fruitfulness within their life. Somebody of good reputation. Then the third thing that they talk about is that then thirdly, men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The third thing is that there will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of being filled, folks, is a, is a concept of being empowered. Empowered. Hey, no, I don't care if you're doing nursery, children's church, Helping us cook at the food at the soup kitchen on Wednesdays or helping us serve. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because no matter what you're doing, sooner or later, it just feels like a drag. Unless we are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what's that all about? I don't wanna I don't wanna go too far off track this morning, and I actually want you guys to be able to have lunch, and I'm working really honest on getting out in time. And so we'll see how that all works out today. But I want to talk about this concept a little bit. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, people are constantly asking, constantly struggling. In the scriptures, what's one of the things that the Lord says, I do not want you to be ignorant about. There are very specific issues. The, the, the nation of Israel, of our eschatology, of spiritual and pneumaticos, we'll talk about energy. The Lord says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what this is. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, everybody know what that says? The Bible says, be what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we talk about the concept. What does that look like? What is that? I mean, let's get to the nuts and bolts. It's a word, right? We can say the word. Are you filled? Oh, yeah, I'm filled. Does that make me filled? No, it doesn't make me filled. If you're hungry and I walk by and say, be filled, are you full? So there's a practical way that it works. How is that practically established in our life? And so we'll, we'll just take a brief journey as we consider it. First, being filled with the Spirit is using the gifts that God has given you. Now, we won't run to all these places, but the gifts, not an exhaustive list, but the gifts are listed in Romans 12. And it is the only place in the Scripture where the word gifts is used now Jackie you're crazy I know it says spiritual gifts in in 1st Corinthians chapter 12 and then 1st Corinthians chapter 14 well if you look a little closer you'll notice that the word gifts is in italics which means what it's not there it's just there so you would understand what's being said and sometimes when we try to help you understand what's being said we make it more confusing so we're going to take a look at the scripture that lays out this basis that I'm going to give you. But the, the only place in scripture where the word gifts, charisma, charis is used, is in Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12 lists 
several gifts. Not the only gifts. I'm not saying it's exhaustive. And that's, you got to fit in those gifts. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying those gifts are given to us so you have an idea of what he's talking about when he's talking about gifts in Romans chapter 12. And we'll take a look if we have time. Those gifts are utilized, folks, in ministries. One of what I believe is four different ministries listed out for us in Ephesians chapter 4. The ministries is the word diakonia. You're, you're familiar with it, right? To serve. Four, if you will, offices to serve out of. Wherein you'll utilize the gifts God's given you, described for us in Romans chapter 12. And how will you use those gifts? Through the energy of the Holy Spirit spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The energy. Let, let's go look and we'll just hopefully try to shine a little bit of light on it and, and help you kind of grasp what I'm talking about. Uh, actually, if you're, if you're really interested in it, uh, I taught through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14 a couple years ago. I'm sure we still have the CDs, so you guys will be able to pick up those CDs if you'd like to. If you'd open up or turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Uh, Perhaps 7-2, but uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Let's take a look. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says, There are diversities of gifts. The word charisma, the gifts. It's actually the word. But the same spirit. That's the exact same word used in Romans chapter 12, the list of the gifts. Where the word gifts appears. Charisma. Romans chapter 12 gifts. If you want to just, as you hold your finger there in, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to look at Romans, we go to Romans chapter 12 and we'll just look briefly in Romans chapter 12. See, you get exercise flipping through your Bibles. Isn't that great? Okay, in Romans chapter 12, and we'll just uh, take a look at uh, from verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorting in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who sows with mercy. He who sows mercy with cheerfulness, and let love be without hypocrisy, abhorring what is evil, and clinging to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. He goes on and talks about different types of gifts. Same word. Charisma. The gift. These gifts should be utilized or functioning. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now in verse 5, it says there are differences of ministries, diaconia. There are differences of the ways we serve. How are we going to serve? In what, in what manner will we function in that service? But there is the same Lord. All one, the same God does it all through one spirit. It's all accomplished. The gifts of Romans 12 with the diaconia, the ministries that we see in Ephesians chapter 4. If you hold your place there and turn to the right, you'll come to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just take a look at this same kind of phrasing. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, and if you, if you have time to go through Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to also note he's talking again about one body and one spirit and one Lord functioning in, in one way together using a, a variety of different uh, um, diaconias or ways to serve. He, if we look at, uh, at verse 11, it says, And he, gave, or he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints. For what? The work of the ministry. Diaconia. The work of the ministry. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we take a look at it. It says uh, there are differences of ministries. The ways that we serve. Those differences I think are there for us in Ephesians chapter 4. What are they? 
the apostle. I'm not talking about titles. We, we clear, right? There are no apostles today in the title of an apostle. None. The apostles ended with Paul. That's it. No more. The requirements to be an apostle by title means that you have, have, to, have had to have seen Christ in his resurrected body on the earth. So that's not, that's not happened anymore. But the word apostle, what's it mean? To be sent out. So if I was to serve in a gift of, of helps, and I wanted to serve in a ministry of being sent out, can you think of what that would look like? Wouldn't that be like a missionary or a mission trip? Going somewhere, maybe we go somewhere to, to take Christmas boxes to children who don't have Christmas, an opportunity to share Christ with them. Isn't that fulfilling the service of an apostle? To be sent out? And utilizing the gifts that God's already given me, that, that I want to help people? So I take that gift with me, and I, and I want to go and use it in the, in the service or in the ministry of an apostle. Well, what about as an evangelist? Well, we can understand that, right? We see people work as an evangelist, but can't, can't we function as an evangelist as well? If I was in a, a Sunday school class, well, I'll give you an example. I was in my office one day, and a, and a family brought a young child to me who wanted to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. And so she came, and we talked a little bit, and I sat there with this little girl, and we prayed for her to receive Jesus into her life. And as we were doing that, I was utilizing the gifts that God gave me in the ministry of an evangelist leading a child into the arms of Jesus Christ. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not just words, not just talk that people talk about. It's let's see where the rubber meets the road. But there's a third part, right? We've seen that there are diversities of gifts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go back there again. We've seen that there are diversities of gifts. We've seen that there are differences of ministries, uh, opportunities wherein we can serve. And then we look at, uh, at verse 6, and there are diversities of, you see that next word? Activities. That word activities is a word energy, energemi, something like that. It's the word root from which we get the word energy. The energy. The energy to utilize my gift in a ministry comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about. The power to be who God's calling me to be through Him to use the gifts He's given me in ministry. In ministry. I, 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 could, be, I could serve as a, within the ministry of a prophet by teaching a Sunday school class. Why? Because I'm sharing the Word of God with a child through the gifts God's given me. Maybe a gift of teaching. Being able to bring across the gospel in a simple way that kids can understand. And I'm energized by the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. And when I do that, that gift is all functioning, all together, all three parts are one. It's not some big mysterious thing. It's God fulfilling that part. Now, does that mean there's not mysterious things within the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely not. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. Not a gift of the Spirit I don't believe in. But, the gifts of the Spirit are used to bring attention to Jesus Christ and only Him. To point people to Christ. That's the purpose. We want to bring people to Christ. We want to be energized to accomplish those things. We want to see God move in mighty ways. Now, I know that's going to beg other questions about the gift of tongues, and I don't have time to go into it. I do believe. I do practice. Uh, maybe I even practice more than you all, like Paul says. I don't know. But if you want to have more information and more solid teaching on all those concepts, just pick up the CD on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, because we go through it all when we went through there. And this same concept is what we talked about when we went through those three chapters. So I encourage you to look at that. But when we talk about it in, in, in Acts, about men full of the Holy Spirit, that's what I'm talking about. Men of good reputation, that they, that they would look and they would see people, people functioning within the body of Christ, utilizing their gifts, in service, energized by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled. You're functioning. You've, you're, you're in the proper place within the body of Christ. Now, what do I need to have the energy of God to fill me? It's very simple. I have to ask Him. And I have to ask Him all the time. And I have to be committed to His Word and to prayer. And I've got to constantly be seeking His face. It's, that's the only place it's found. Listen, what would happen if I came to church today 
And I did nothing all week for preparation. And when I got here, I just kind of looked at where we were supposed to be. And I taught. Sometimes that's how people do Sunday school. And then they say, well, I don't really feel feel the power of the Holy Spirit equipping me to do use my gifts in that service. Well, that's because you're not seeking the Holy Spirit at all. You can't show up at the last second and say, Lord, give me something, you know, and, and expect that to, to occur. I'm, surely, maybe sometimes it will. But more often we give due diligence to what we do. What's that mean? That means I know I'm teaching Sunday school or I'm doing nursery. I want to prepare. So that week leading up to nursery, I'm going to pray. God, just help me really to be functioning in the spirit. Because when 15 babies are crying and somebody's tugging on my knee and I don't know what to do. And I get it. I want to be able to function in your spirit with your energy, not my own. With your understanding, not my own. Utilizing my gifts to, to help or my gifts to serve, or my gifts that you've given me so that I can utilize them here in this place. But I have to prepare. How do I prepare? I seek the Lord. I seek the Lord. If I am not praying more than everybody else in church, I shouldn't be here. Because that's the main part of my job. To seek the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to, to, to be energized by the Spirit. And it's important that I model that same concept so that as the Lord leads you to stand up in a position of servant leadership, to say, hey, I want to be a part of what's going on here. I want to serve, I want to teach, I want to do these things, that you would follow suit in that same attitude that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the Word, I'm going to read what the, what the lesson is about, I'm going to do some study, I'm going to pray that God would help me bring this down to the level of a third grader, so that he could understand the concepts that we're studying. I'm going to seek Him. I'm going, to, I'm going to be energized by the Spirit to accomplish that which the Lord has gifted me to do. When they're choosing these seven guys, that's who they're looking for. Those people. Those people. Not those people who are going to start doing it now. Those people who are doing it. How do we find people within, within leadership to raise up within the church? It's that we're going, and we're going, and we're going. We're doing this event, and we're doing this thing, and we're going to the parade, and we're doing these things. And there's all kind of stuff going on. Because, like I shared with you earlier, that's where the people are. Folks, some of them will come here, but most of them are out there. So the more out there we can get, the better off it is. So we have all this stuff going on outreaches and soup kitchens and things that we can do and serve our community and reach out with the love of Jesus Christ to people who don't know Him. I'm, I'm super blessed because we started the preschool this year and, and uh, you know, I guess time will tell if it's a, a giant mistake. I don't know. But so far, what a blessing. We had 25 kids who didn't even know how to, how to sing Jesus Loves Me. Have no real... There's a few that were from here, but most from the community. And now all those kids can sing Jesus Loves Me. Now you might think, oh, what's the big deal? Sing, what are you talking about? They're being introduced to Jesus Christ. If we weren't here doing that, how is that going to happen? How is that going to take place? What a blessing that we have the opportunity to, to pour into their lives. But that costs something. It costs time. It costs effort. It costs people coming on board and saying, you know what? I want to serve. I want to be a part. I want to do these things. People saying that I need to utilize my gifts. No one person can do it all. No two people. The Word of God calls us a body where we all fit. Every one of us in a chair this morning, we got a place. A, a ministry to fulfill a gift God's given you. And the energy of the Holy Spirit to encourage you to keep using it. We have it all if we'll apply those simple rules, those simple concepts. Reading the Word, seeking the Lord in prayer. There's not a magic abracadabra wand I can wave over you and poof, you're spiritual. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. It takes endurance to say, I'm going to keep enduring, I'm going to keep going forward, I'm going to keep applying, I'm going to keep working. You've been disappointed? Anybody here ever been hurt by another believer? Yeah. If I asked you to raise hands, I, I, I won't. But if I did, everybody's hand would go up. You've been burned by a church somewhere? Sure we have. Why? Who's in the church? People. I've been burned by people. 
It's not going to be any different in the church, so am I going to quit? I'm going to give up, I'm going to say, well, that's it. Where am I going to go? When Jesus had this huge multitude of people around him, he preached the most misunderstood message he ever gave. And everybody left. They said, that was crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. And he turned to the disciples, Peter, and he said, are you leaving too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life, truth. Do we come to you? We gather here as a body, not because we're perfect or holy or we, get, we do everything right. We, we, we screw up things too. It's not our goal, it's not our design, and it's certainly not what we want to do. But the cry from these people was, here's a problem. Hey, somebody help. Somebody rise up. Somebody say, you know, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part. It breaks my heart. And it's happened on more than one occasion. Where people say, I came and nobody talked to me. I, I unfortunately won't always have time to go see everybody before or after. I, I get hung up sometimes with other people. But certainly we can do that together, can we? We can't let somebody sit by themselves. If we have a potluck and somebody's sitting at a table by themselves, you ought to understand it's a mandate by God that you go over there, whether you know them or not. Whether they smell or they don't smell. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves them. He died for them. And if he was here, where would he be? He'd be there. So where should we be? We gotta reach out. We gotta love. We gotta care about people. We gotta be educated in what the word says so that when we got a brother caught up in sin, we can say to a brother, hey man, that's not okay, bro. That's not okay. Scripture says right here, what you're doing goes against scripture. It's not okay. We gotta share the truth. I think it's also imperative that we share the truth in love, but that we don't use it as an excuse not to share. But how are we going to share it? We can't share it just on a whim. What do we have to be doing? We have to be filled with the Spirit. We have to be utilizing our gifts. We have to be standing in service. We have to be calling on the name of the Lord, asking for His wisdom and direction in order to do that. We can't just expect it to poof, happen. We have to be willing to put in the sweat. To do the stuff that's necessary to make those things happen. And so they're asking for men who are full of the Holy Spirit. As we go back to Acts chapter 6, and <coughs> in conclusion, <laughs> or close to that anyways, it says, Men full of the Spirit and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. Some people think wisdom is some, some elusive thing. It's not elusive. Wisdom's not elusive. The Bible says wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, read the book of Proverbs, the Bible says wisdom calls out to you every day, and you turn a deaf ear. I do too. Wisdom calls to me and says, don't do that. And I say, what? I can't hear you. And I keep going. And wisdom says, don't do that. And I'll keep going. If we want to start experiencing the things that we see in the book of Acts in our life today, then we have to start exercising our spiritual muscles. How do you exercise your spiritual muscles? Not certainly just by coming and listening to me talk. That's crazy. If you want to find some way to help yourself sleep at night, come listen to me talk. And get a CD, take it home, listen to it, you'll go right to sleep. You want to exercise your spiritual muscles. How do we do that? We do it by studying His Word. And not just with me, you. Don't just hear what I say and say, Well, Jackie said it must be so. Paul said the Bereans were more noble than others. Why? Because they heard what Paul said and they studied to see if it was so. Be a Berean. Live in, in, the, in the Word. Pray. Man, we got to be people committed to prayer and seeing God move so that we would experience... This wisdom and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. But what does it say in verse 4? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. By the way, just remember what I said. That word ministry is a word, diaconia. Same word. Utilized now of the apostles as they serve the word of God. As they provide the word of God. We're all called to serve. 
and you will serve somebody. And that what Bob Dylan said? You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. They said, we're going to commit ourselves to what? To sitting around and forming a committee to talk about it? No, we don't, trust me, we don't need any more committees. What do we need? We need people who say, we need, you, you, there's a problem in the church? Please, if there's a problem in the church, an area that you feel is neglected, feel free to talk to me. I want to hear about it because I will pray that God will raise up someone to fulfill that need. I will pray, but at the same time, I will ask the one who came, you be listening in case God is calling you. Not because I want to shirk it off, but because you have eyes to see. You recognize the need. You may be the one God is calling to be a part of fixing it. I'm so blessed. It was such a struggle for me to keep the grounds up around the church. It drives me crazy. Weeds make me crazy. All these. If you go to my house, you say, what are you talking about, Jackie? There's weeds at your house. Sorry. It's like the plumber, you know, he doesn't want to fix the plumbing at his house. Just ask Jason, he'll tell you. But there are these things that I would constantly see and try to make time to get there. And I'm so blessed that, that there are people, uh, a man in particular, that the Lord spoke to his heart. He came and asked me one day, he said, Hey Jackie, it'd be a problem if I came and did some yard work, you know, whenever I got time at the church. Yeah, that would be so cool. Praise God, he does it. It's never looked better than it looks now. Because Not because somebody waited for Jackie to, to get it done, but because somebody saw a need and said, you know, maybe God's calling me to that. That's something I can do. There are so many ways and so many things. If the Lord lays something on your heart, please talk to us, but also be willing to hear whether or not the Lord is calling you. And then be in prayer. And verse 5 says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now, most of those guys we're not going to hear about again. Some of them are written in extra-biblical literature that talks about some of the places they went to. But for the most part, we don't hear about them again. That doesn't mean they didn't do what they were supposed to do. That just means that's not part of the story God's trying to tell us. But two of those guys we're going to hear very specifically about. In this next, the rest of this chapter and the next chapter, it's going to be about Stephen. Stephen. And some people would say Stephen was called the first deacon. And they'll put a title on him. I'm not going to title Stephen because in the very next verse when we conclude this section we come back next week it's going to say that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit he was doing miracles people were being healed he was teaching the word of God he's going out and busting it he looks just like one of the apostles to me now I'm not going to hang that title on him either I'm going to say he's a man who presented himself as a servant leader to God and God took him and did so much more with him than, than what he had originally raised him up to do because he made himself available. Stephen is an amazing story. Do you know that most of the commentary of what we understand about the Old Testament we find in Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7? That's amazing. Just this guy who was picked to serve food to widows. Who made himself available. And God used in a mighty way. Who's Philip? Well, maybe this will help. Philip the Evangelist, you heard of him, right? We're going to see a revival in Samaria, and then the Lord's going to pluck him up and move him to another place, and he's going to serve there, leading people to Christ. Always going to see him leading people to Christ. A lot of people want to put the officer the title of deacon. Does that mean a deacon can't do that? Sure, a deacon can. But I don't care about the title. What I'm saying is, he's not functioning. When we, as soon as we put titles on people, they think this is my only job. Don't they? If I put the title of usher on you, then that's where you're going to feel like you're fulfilling everything that God has for you. And that may be where God has you now. Praise the Lord. You keep making yourself available to the Lord and watch what He does. Watch what God does when we make ourselves available. 
Maybe you're a greeter. I don't want to put a title on you. I just want to call you someone in servant leadership who stepped up. Well, I'm not a leader. I'm just a greeter. Oh, you're a leader. You're the first face everybody sees. What happens if you're not smiling? What if you have a bad day? And you reach out with that sour face. And you look at that person who's come for the first time. What are you doing here? Tuck in your shirt. Go put regular shoes on. You can't have flip-flops in church. What's wrong with you? A lot of things could happen from a greeter, couldn't it? It's a leadership position. Because people see you. And God's calling us all to be a part of that. But look what happened when they were faithful and they chose. Each of these guys are, have Greek names. They spoke Greek, so they were, they were intimately aware of the problem and they became a part of the solution. But listen to this. When they set them before the apostles and they prayed, they laid hands on them. It's a passing of authority. And the word of God spread. You hear that? All they did was solve the problem. It's a little problem. Some widows aren't getting enough food. They're, they're being neglected. They solved the problem, and what happened? The Word of God went further. Why? Because where do you think them widows went? What do you think they're telling they got food from? What do you think happens in a soup kitchen when people come and they get their bellies full when they have no food at home? They go and they say, Man, I saw love lived out when I got fed. I... I became a little more aware of who Jesus is just by the people who served. The people who rose up, the people who helped. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I don't want to miss that part. We're going to close out on this, but listen. People came. The church grew. Sometimes we'll look around and we'll say, that's not good. Church is good size. If we just get maybe 20 or 30 people to leave, it would be perfect. So I don't want the church growing. The church grows and there's no place to sit. And I can't find a place to park. And Man, what are you talking about? We got one job to do. Make disciples of men everywhere. The more opportunity we have to do that to equip you for that work out there, the more the merrier. If it gets too crowded, don't worry about it. We'll add another service and we'll fit them in. Think about how great that would be. Then you, you would be able to serve in Sunday school and be able to hear the message just by hanging out for a couple of services. Whatever God has for us, He's going to do. He's going to accomplish. And we want, we got to want to see God do those things. There's people out there perishing every day without Christ. Now I can sit down and say, I got them and I'm good. So good luck, folks. Or I could realize Jesus has called us to something. Every one of us. Not just me. Every one of us. To stand up and be who we are in Christ. And allow God to do that work in us. We, we are called to do that. And when we do it, it's going to grow. And there's going to be, when it grows, guess what? It's going to be more problems. And those problems are going to do what? They're going to they're stir up in the hearts of men who are already fulfilling the ministry to stand up and rise up in leadership and help deal with that problem. And what's going to happen? It's going to grow. And when it grows, it's going to bring problems. And when it does, it's going to stir up men and women to rise up in leadership and say, here, I can be part of this problem. And then what's going to happen? It's going to grow. That's how it works. That's how it was in the first church in Jerusalem. But don't worry. We won't keep anybody. If God raises us up and we grow, we're going to stretch out. We're going to plant churches. We're going to reach out to other countries. We're going to see God do incredible things because that's what God wants us to do. But before all that can happen, we've got to make a decision in our lives that I want to be like these men they found. That I'm, I'm here... I'm saved, I'm serving, full of the Holy Spirit, utilizing my gifts, studying the Word and prayer, and watch what God will do. You wouldn't believe what God's capable of. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stay on me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're just so thankful to be studying your word. We're so thankful to see the opportunities, God, that you give. 
And Lord, I know there's opportunities here. There are problems here. There are issues here. There are struggles here. But it's our prayer, God, as a body that you would stir up in the hearts of men and women to say, I can be part of that solution. I can help stand in the gap in this, with this issue or this problem or this concern. Because we need them. Lord, we need them all. For us to be who you're calling us to be, we need everyone to fulfill their part within the body of Christ. And I want to be who you called me to be. I left my grandkids to do it. Left my house. And I would leave more. And if you call me to it, I will. Because it's more important to do what you're calling me to do than anything else on this earth. God, I pray for men and women in this place who would say, yes, I will turn my back on the world and grab a hold of Jesus with both hands and I will enjoy the ride. There's going to be hard times and difficulties and, and stress and strain. But everything I do is going to be for Him. Wherever you call us, whatever we do. Lord, you may never call us out of, the, out of the working in the world. You may call us to be a witness in that place. But it doesn't matter. I can still do that with both hands on you. For you. Lord, I pray that you would work in a mighty way through this body. And that even as you spoke to my heart this last week about an awakening, that there will be an awakening here. That there will be an awakening in men and women's hearts. An awakening to the power of your Holy Spirit calling us to service. An awakening to the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to accomplish that service. And And a desire that says, I don't need a title. I don't need a claim. I'm not doing this for nobody else. I want to do this for Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that you do that work in us. That you would fulfill your word and your promise and that you would build such a great church full of love and compassion for a community that needs you where people are dying every day without you. you, We have the answer. We got to take it outside. Lord, I pray that you would do an amazing work. As we give you all the thanks and the praise, who you are and what you've done, we look forward to what you will do and accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.